0: Ephesians 5, today, it's a somewhat topical message as it will be for the next many weeks. Today marks the beginning of our family emphasis series. We will spend the next six weeks speaking of various elements of the Christian home, family, marriage. High emphasis on marriage as we understand that a healthy marriage will trickle down into a healthy family. So I'm going to be spending a great deal of time on the husband and the wife, several messages as well on raising children, uh, a message for children, and, uh, as, and then also a couple of messages on the purpose of family and the church. There is on the back table an itinerary of these messages for the next six weeks. I give that to you, particularly so that um, perhaps those of you who aren't accustomed to coming on Sunday evenings if there are certain sermons that you feel you might really need or that you really want, um, or even if you can't make it to one of the weeks, you can at least know what you missed so you can get online and listen to it or, whatever, or watch it on YouTube, whatever the case may be. How I'm going to do this is, uh, of course, I'm going to start with the husbands because the husband is the head of the home. This week we're going to talk about the husband in love. Next week the wife in submission uh, in the morning. The week after that I'm going to focus in on husbands again. And not just loving your wife, but truly winning her. And then the next week, wives. Not just submitting to your husband, but winning him. And we will have a wonderful time, I think, over these six weeks, focusing on the home. And today begins our contemplations in this role of marriage and family with husbands. The foundation of any happy and God-fearing family is a happy and God-fearing marriage. And the foundation of any God-fearing marriage is a husband and a father who is determined to live in complete obedience to the Word of God. Uh, Last week on Mother's Day, we we briefly summarized the concept of submission. We made mention of the fact that there's joy in submission uh, more than just fulfilling the role which God has designed. There's the joy of the husband and father being the one who is indeed responsible before God for his wife and for his family and while we we say this we also understand husbands that society and culture and in so many ways even the majority of the church are not on your side in becoming the man that you need to be for your wife and for your family society and culture is not on your side in this You will not learn the lessons from the expectations of society for husbands and fathers that will help you become what you need to be for your wife and for your family before God. What this society needs more than anything else is leaders. Men who are willing to be men. Fathers who are willing to be fathers. Husbands who are willing to be husbands. Husbandhood in society and culture is tragic. And embarrassing, It's a hollow shell of what men ought to be for their wives. Society reflects husbandhood in impotence and ugliness. And today we'll speak of God's design in the family, God's design in the church, through the husband's role to love his wife. And we'll make note of the fact that when all is said and done, husband, you reflect God. And as we consider this, two important statements can be made. First, weakness as a husband will weaken our testimony before our children, before our wife, before the world. Second, as a follower of Jesus Christ, If God has given us commands in regard to being a proper husband, then it is our duty, our obligation to fervently seek after God's will in this area and to follow it with all our hearts. Stepping up and being what we need to be. So our first order of business is to address the husbands. Husband, love your wife. And we take... Ourselves to Ephesians 5 to understand this concept. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 25, we read this Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. In the scriptures, we find this to be an imperative, a command. Husbands, love your wives. It's not a suggestion. The expectation, not just advice, is that husbands would love their wives. And it's easy enough to say, right? But today I'm going to take you much farther than that. And in a couple of weeks, as we talk about winning your wife, it's going to get even farther still. You need to know why it's so important that you love your wife. And you need to know how to love your wife. And let's begin with why it matters so much. Considering the importance of marriage and family, we established the broader principles of why marriage is so important. We'll talk about this tonight because our families and the church reflect the relationship with Christ. And as we focus this principle down to your role as husbands, men, we understand that society is made up of three distinct but interrelated institutions. You have the visible local church. You have government, and you have family. And each of these institutions is intended to have Christ as its head to one degree or another. It's intended to recognize that Christ is sovereign above all. Uh, we, we recognize uh, God's blessing upon our government for years, and on our dollar bills we see in God we trust, and, and we recognize that even though not all of the founders, all of the framers were, were godly men, yet they understood that there was there was a supreme being above them that they were answerable to. They understood moral absolutes. They understood a higher morality. Certainly in the visible and local church, we find this as Christ is our head and then as well in the family. And each of these institutions, as with Christ as the head, has been given a delegated leader under Christ intended to lead that institution into godliness The local church is given the pastor. Government is given the king. The family is given the husband, the father. This is often called the three-legged stool upon which society stands. Family, government, and church. And as such, husband, the way you lead your family, treat and lead your wife, Is essential and in fact your relationship with your wife within the family is the most essential aspect to the proper functioning of that marriage of that family and thus of your role in society as husband and father and as this is your responsibility before God your spiritual effectiveness your spiritual effectiveness is deeply tied to your role as husband and father If you are not properly loving your wife, you are not properly living in obedience to God. And we'll see in two weeks, when we go to 1 Peter chapter 3, that if you are strained in your relationship, if your relationship with your wife is not right, your spiritual relationship with God will not be right. For the sake of understanding, consider briefly with me this morning 1 Peter 3, 7, just so that you can see this. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Again, I'll preach on this in two weeks, but notice that final phrase, that your prayers be not hindered. The way you treat your wife, the way you love her, has a direct effect on your spiritual effectiveness. Your prayers can be hindered by your failure to treat your wife the way that the Bible tells you to treat her. So why does it matter? Properly loving your wife has dramatic spiritual implications on us husbands. Upon your personal spiritual life, upon the spiritual life of your wife, upon the spiritual life of your family, and upon the strength of your family as it relates to society. So that's why it matters. What does it mean then to love your wife? What does it mean to love your wife? Back in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25, we see this phrase, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. At Legacy Baptist Church, we define love As doing that which is best for the object of our love or for the one who is loved regardless of self-interest and regardless of circumstances. Doing what is best for the object of that love regardless of self-interest and regardless of circumstances. And we define love this way because this is the example that Christ set for us on the cross. That Christ's love for us on the cross is the baseline for what it means to love. And the baseline for what it means for a husband to love his wife. So, as we seek to understand what it means for you, husband, to love your wife. And for those of you that aren't husbands today, of course, uh, men, uh, the potential is there. So, so you can listen uh, with with that framework in mind. Women, you can listen if you're not married with an understanding of how your future husband ought to love you. and, And the kind of man you ought to be looking for. But also as we consider this concept of love, understand that we are defining this sacrificial form of love, and while we're applying it to the marriage relationship, really the call to love goes well beyond it, doesn't it? So let's talk about what Christ did on the cross. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, we read this, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To say that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins properly describes the act of redemption. But is insufficient to describe the true magnitude of what happened on the cross. Through the cross, God personally sacrificed his most precious and beloved possession, his son, to redeem a people who had not asked for it, who could not possibly earn or otherwise deserve his love. See, it's one thing to love those that love you, right? It's one thing to be kind to those that are kind to you, to do back to those what they've done to you. It's one thing... To show favor and patience to those who you believe are worthy of your favor and your patience. But what about those who aren't? Your enemies. What about those who in their actions don't show you respect or love or kindness or favor? How often are we compelled to sacrifice the most important things in our lives to love those who don't love us back? And the Scriptures bring us in consideration of this in Romans chapter 5. When Christ died, we talked about it a little bit in Sunday school this morning, He didn't die, He didn't come to redeem the righteous, He came to call sinners to repentance. He didn't die for the godly, He died for the ungodly. Matthew 9, 13, that's what Jesus said. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And from a human perspective, there is very little that would compel us to sacrifice ourselves for others. That's what Romans 5, 6 through 8 are saying there. That uh, you might sacrifice yourself. You might die for a righteous man. You might die for a good man. There would be certain circumstances. Many of us would die, perhaps, for the ones that we love the most. Husband, you might say, I'm willing to die for my wife or my children. That I would be willing to take the place and die in their place. Uh, we, we know of many stories of men in the military who um, have died saving their comrades in arms, whether it's jumping on a grenade or, or, or something to that effect. But your enemies? For a righteous man, a good man, some might be willing to die. But God loved us so much. That He sent His Son to die on the cross for you in your rebellion. For you who was an enemy of Him by birth and by choice. And that though we daily fall short of God's perfection, Christ died for us anyway. God gave His most precious possession for us anyway. Christ's love poured out upon the unlovely He didn't come to offer Himself for His friends. Christ came not to offer Himself for those who were ready to listen. As He hung upon a cross, His words weren't, I'm so glad for those who have accepted Me. His words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is you and me. Formerly dead in our trespasses and sins, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you haven't, then still dead in your trespasses and sins. Enemies of God by nature and by choice. Doing what we want, regardless of God, at the expense of His will. And in the midst of that character, God looked down at you and said, I am going to place my love upon Him by giving the very most precious thing I have to die for them. Whether or not they will ever accept it. And that death was not just physical, was it? Nor was it just a mere formality. As Jesus hung upon that cross, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul tells us, he describes it this way. He says, speaking of Christ, For He hath made Him, for God hath made Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. On the day of Jesus' death, some 2,000 years ago, Yes, he was whipped, he was lashed, he was beaten, he was bruised. He was physically broken. He was scorned, he was demeaned, he was emotionally broken. The crown of thorns was beaten into his head. Nails were hammered into his hands, into his feet. But you know what was more and what was worse? That on the day Jesus bore the sin of the world, Upon his spotless son, God poured out all of his wrath and his anger for your sin and my sin upon Christ. That Jesus didn't just hang upon a cross and die, God made him to be sin for us. He took the punishment that we deserve. For the first time in history, God the Father was separated from God the Son, so that the Son cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was counted as sinful, so that you might be counted as righteousness. And all of this was done because of love. This is the definition of love That regardless of circumstance, regardless of personal feeling, regardless of worth, regardless of merit, regardless of favor, regardless of whether or not they could ever pay you back, you take the very essence of who you are and you place it on someone else. That's the love that God had for us. That's the love that Christ has for His church. He died for us. Back to Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. This is the love, men, that is due unto your wife. This love is not about worth. Your devotion to her your care for her, the sacrifices you make for her, if you are manifesting Christ's love, then not an ounce of it is dependent upon how she treats you, how she acts toward you. Not even the smallest part hinges upon whether or not she deserves it, that day or any day. God expects your love toward your wife to be without qualification and to be regardless of her actions Or attitude toward you. If your wife wakes up every morning and says, good morning, I hate you. Which I hope no one in this room would have to deal with. But if she said that, you should pour out, you should pour yourself out for her that day as much as if she woke up saying, good morning, I love you. Because that's the love that Christ has shown. And this is how Christ loves his church, is it not? He went to death for her. But his love continued past just the sacrifice of his life. Hebrews 7.5 tells us that Jesus Christ didn't just die and raise again for our sins. He ever lives. the Bible says, to intercede. Jesus Christ did not just do a one-time thing, right? It's not just that he, he ingratiated us to himself through his death. He redeemed us from hell. But he is in a constant ministry of cherishing us, leading us, nurturing us. That's what we sang, my wife and I sang this morning, right? As the tender shepherd. The the sheep, the lamb says, God, I want you to give me the good times. I want you to give me the fertile valleys. the, the, the the, The nice rivers. And the shepherd says, look lamb. It doesn't matter whether I've given you the the quiet waters or I've given you the stormy seas. I love you. It's for your best. I am going to spend the rest of your life leading you, guiding you, and protecting you. You can trust it. Trust it. And that's a reflection of Psalm 23, where David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want and as we consider this concept, Christ cherishing us, nurturing us, leading us for the rest of our days, ever living to intercede for us, what's the point? What's the goal? Why would Christ do that? Now, he obviously saved us from hell already, so why would He continue to cherish and lead us? What's the, the goal in mind? Well, we continue reading in Ephesians 5, and we, we, we read this in verses 26 and 27. Speaking of Christ here, That he might sanctify and cleanse it, that's his church, with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Jesus poured himself out on the cross to purchase us unto himself. This was the first act of love, the initiation of his love, which we received the moment we accept Jesus Christ as our personal savior. This moment of purchase is, in many ways, parallel to the moment that we say our vows, that we make our covenant one to another at the, the wedding altar. That when you say those vows, you are entering into a covenant relationship whereby you are promising to love and nurture and cherish the other for the rest of your life. And this is very much a parallel with when we enter into the covenant, the new covenant, covenant of salvation by grace through faith. But Jesus didn't just buy our redemption and then leave us to fend for ourselves. He is constantly working to sanctify us. And He does this lovingly. He does this patiently. He brings men and women into our lives to teach us. He strengthens our faith through trials. He provides for our every need. He chastens us when we go astray. Such is the constant love that Jesus shows toward us and then one day, the Scriptures tell us that He will present us to Himself as glorious and perfected in Him. That one day He will look at us and He will glory in the reality that what we are, we are in Him and that He has brought us into, unto Himself. And husbands, this is the picture of how you love your wife. It is your privilege, husbands, to be actively and consistently leading your wife into becoming the very best she can be. To love your wife is to care for her needs. To love your wife is to guide her into truth. To love your wife is to help her spiritually. To facilitate her spiritual growth. And all of this apart from her merit. Your wife deserves your love unconditionally she's not responsible to earn it. The day you pursued her unto marriage, you, in Christ, were telling her that you wanted the responsibility of her well-being, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, without condition for the rest of your days. She took you up on that offer. She allowed you to place the ring on her finger. You said, I want to do this for you, and she said, I accept, I will, I do. And regardless of how well either of you understood it at the time, scripturally that's what happened on the day you made your wedding vows. So men, it is your responsibility to express the same love and care for your wife that Jesus expresses toward you every day. Not only in salvation, not only in a a one-time act of redemption from the future punishment of sin idea, but in the active and perpetual sanctifying love and care which Jesus pours out upon his church. Even in Christian culture, we don't hear this very often, do we? The church has often had its focus, and rightfully so in a manner of speaking, on, on women and their role of submission. It's important. It's given a high priority in Scripture. But let us never forget that the church submits herself to Christ in a loving response to Christ's initiated love toward them. 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. Jesus Christ was the initiator of the love. The church is the responder. The church submits in response to the initiated love of Christ. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Paul continues in verse 28 and 29. He says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. The church is Christ's body. He is the church's head. In Ephesians 5.23, which we didn't read today, The Bible calls husbands the head of the wife using it in the same metaphorical sense that the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, your wife is your body. She is an extension of who you are given to you for your success. That's what the body does, right? If I was just a floating head up here, um, well... Maybe not the best example. I might still be able to get something. Some of my... well, I'd be rolling around. It probably wouldn't work real well. But if, if we were just floating heads, there would be a lot of limitations, right? There'd be a lot that we couldn't do. I couldn't pace when I preached. That would be miserable. There'd be a lot of things we couldn't do if we were just floating heads. But we're not floating heads. We've got a body. And the body facilitates what the mind wants to do, right? A, a sharp mind with a body that won't function doesn't do a whole lot for you. As humans, our bodies are pretty important to us. When they aren't functioning the way they ought, it makes life very difficult. We work hard to stay healthy, to keep our bodies functioning well, because even if we have amazing minds, if our body is not able to function at a high level, we will be limited. So we eat right. We get rest, we pace ourselves, we take care of ourselves when we get sick. We nurture our body so that it can remain as strong and capable as possible so that it can do everything that comes into our minds to do. This is the very same expectation that rests upon the husband with respect to the wife. No man in his right mind wants his body to be incapable or or not functioning properly. No man in his right mind purposefully neglects his body with the desire that it will break down. But what men do all the time is neglect their body and then one day wake up and find that their, their body can no longer do what they want it to do. What men do all the time is ignore their problems until their problems are beyond the point that they can be ignored any longer. And we can do the same thing with our wives. We can neglect to care for our bodies as the head of this marriage. We can neglect our bodies, neglect her physically, emotionally, or spiritually, not provide for her, not meet her needs, not care and nurture her, not direct her into Christ. We can neglect to care for them and neglect to love them, not because we purposefully desire to see them break down, Not because we purposefully desire for them to be less than their best for us or for God. But because we're being negligent, selfish, doing what we want at their expense. And if we've understood the definition of love today, then you know that if you are doing what you want at the expense of your wife, you're not loving her properly. Because Christ's love was poured out on the very worst among us with everything that he had unto his life, his very life. Now, our wives obviously have wills of their own. On the authority of God's word, we know this. Within the scope of the marriage context, God states clearly that much of what our wives are, however, is a result of how much and how we as husbands have led them. Yes, your wife is going to make her own choices. Yes, uh, I I can testify to the fact that oftentimes our wives grow and flourish in spite of us. My wife has, at times. But that's not God's design. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So husbands, where does that leave us today? Three points that I would like us to consider about loving our wives this morning. Number one, husbands, Biblical love is an unconditional choice, not a conditional response. Biblical love is an unconditional choice, not a conditional response. We've talked about this, but let's just lay it out as a point. Society has love all wrong, doesn't it? Society and culture, they have love all wrong. Society defines love as an emotional response to some external stimulus. Some see love as something unavoidable. It's... As if a person is simply an emotion which cannot be controlled. And love just kind of sweeps them up and takes them in a direction and they're just along for the ride. As if it's baked into a person. Whether that stimulus is compelled by the way a person looks or by a person's personality, or by having common interests. They say love is something that you fall into, and it takes you where you go, and it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a journey, and you just, you're along for the ride. But that's not true love. Now, this is attraction. A, a love at first sight idea, where there are certain characteristics that draw one person to another, whether it's personality, and I should hope that mm, husband and wife, the person you married, you like. Uh, It doesn't always happen that way. In our culture, it does more often than many other cultures, and it doesn't have to happen that way, but I hope that you married someone you enjoy being around. But did you know that that's not a requirement for love? Attraction is a very real thing. Feeling a pull toward affection for one reason or another is a very real thing feeling obligation, somebody saved you, somebody um, uh, healed you. You know, They talk about the, the patients falling in love with their nurses and those sorts of things. What that is is this feeling of affection, obligation, attraction towards somebody for what they've done for you, the, those sorts of things. All of that is, is legitimate, but that's not true love. This isn't Christ's love. This isn't the kind of love that makes a husband and wife relationship right before God. Some see love as something which comes and goes based upon feelings. That you love a person as long as that person treats you well. That you love a person as long as they are who you expect them to be. That when they aren't what you expect them to be or they aren't what you want them to be, that you fall out of love with them. If a person changes their behavior, then your love for them can change as well. And again, these feelings are very real. I don't mean to say that they aren't. Our feelings toward a person can indeed ebb and flow with how much we know of them, with how often we're around them, with how well they treat us, all of those things. But as the Bible describes it, this isn't Christ's love. This isn't the love that a husband is is expected to have for his wife. I give you again the definition of love so that you can see it, not just hear it. Love is an unconditional choice to do what is best for the object of that love, regardless of self-interest or circumstances. Love is a choice, it is not a feeling. Love is something we deliberately step into, not something we fall into. Love is unconditional in nature, not dependent upon how we are treated or whether or not They deserve our love. Love always has the other person's best interests in mind. Love is devoted to the very best for the one that we love, not for ourselves. And husbands, you are the person in the relationship that is designated by God to be the initiator of this love. From day one to day last, you are intended to be the initiator of this love. Customarily in culture, it is the man that proposes to the woman. And while this is more or less just tradition, it's a tradition rooted in in a biblical precedent of what marriage is intended to represent, right? Jesus Christ initiated a relationship with us by dying on the cross. He expressed his desire. He got down on one knee and said, marry me. And like any bride, potential bride people can say yes or no. And when Jesus Christ proactively reaching out, he wins our affection with his gift on the cross. He didn't wait for us to come to him and beg. He didn't wait for us to become worthy of his love. He took the step, and and those of us who are in Christ responded to the step. And just as, at least with many of us, the husband took the step to initiate the lifelong covenant of marriage through a proposal. So to husband, you need to be proactive and determined to be the initiator of the love, the sacrificial Christ love between you and your wife. It doesn't matter how she feels about you or you feel about her. Love her. It doesn't matter how well she fulfills her responsibility to submit or how well she does what you expect her to do in the home or otherwise, love her. Your love to her cannot and indeed must not be conditioned upon how she reacts to you or treats you. Can you imagine if Jesus conditioned His sanctifying love upon us, the day-in, day-out love that we have through Christ, in Christ? Could you imagine if he conditioned this on any given day based upon your worth? Could you imagine if you woke up as a child of God and wondered whether or not God was going to listen to you that day or not? Whether or not God was going to be speaking to you that day or not? Whether, whether or not God was going to give you the cold shoulder? Whether or not God was going to be in a bad mood and thus not really show you any affection today? Could you imagine how terrible life would be How terrible our relationship with God would be if that was how He treated us? Could you imagine if Jesus waited for us to ask for His love? You know what? He'd be waiting for all eternity. Because we'd never ask for it. Could you imagine if Jesus' love ebbed and flowed with whether or not we were obedient and submissive? Oh boy. It'd It'd be a bad thing. But husband, how often does your nurturing love for your wife have conditions? How often does the way you treat her, how often is it conditioned upon something having to do with her her fulfillment of her duties, her fulfillment of her responsibilities to submit, her spiritual state or condition? How often do you treat her with less love, less honor, less care, less gentleness because of how she acted or what she did that you didn't like? Husbands, biblical love is an unconditional choice, not a conditional response. Number two, husbands, love your wife with your life. Love your wife with your life. As men, particularly in conservative Christian circles, our, our perspective can become easily skewed by the, the teaching that we do here on female submission. Because women are expected to be submissive, and rightfully so, We as men can begin to feel as though we have license to operate without respect to our wife's feelings, without respect to our wife's opinions, without respect to our wife's desires. We become a a bit self-important, thinking that because we are the head of the home and thus uh, the home is directed by our will and our priorities, that it is our wife's job to pour herself into us and learn to love whatever it is we are, for better or for worse. But that's really not what we see in Christ. Now, she has her obligation. We'll talk about it next week. But Christ is not a ruthless dictator with a put-up-or-shut-up attitude, is He? Is Christ who He is? Absolutely, Christ is who He is. Is He just? Is He holy? Is He righteous? Is He going to change who He is and what He expects for us? No, and He shouldn't. Husband, you should not change doing right to meet your wife's whims or desires. You should not change what you believe is right for your family because of your wife's disagreement with you. Christ does not change to meet the the whims of the church. But how does Christ lead us as his church? Is it not with deep care and incredible patience? Is he not long-suffering as he leads us into truth? Does He not listen when we cry unto Him? Is He not active in considering our needs and burdens? Does He not go out of His way to give us what we desire if He can at all possibly do so? Christ does not turn to us a deaf ear, place His expectation upon us, and then simply expect us to make the best of it. Christ patiently, lovingly, graciously leads us in the way that we should go. And sometimes this means teaching us the same lesson over and over again, doesn't it? Sometimes this means patiently forgiving us for the same fault again and again and again. Sometimes this means providing for us in love in spite of us rather than because of us. But He'll do it all because Christ has chosen to place His love upon us and He will always do what He has vowed to do. How often, husbands, is your relationship with your wife driven by yourself? Even at your wife's expense. How often has your wife's personal determination to submit herself to you been met with you perceiving thus in her some obligation and you taking license? You taking advantage of her submission to do what you want at the expense of her and your family. Yes. Husband, father, what you say goes in the family. Yes, your wife is obligated by the word of God to lovingly align herself with the direction which you have chosen for your marriage and for your family. But this does not under any circumstances imply that you have the right to take advantage of her submission to act at her expense. Christ would never do that. He would never do that to us. That's not love. The Christian marriage is not intended to revolve around the husband's whims and desires regardless of how irrational they are. The Christian marriage is intended to be lovingly and decisively led by a kind, nurturing husband into the situation which is best for you as a couple. And when you allow your desires and priorities to operate at the expense of your wife, without regarding her needs and truly apart from her best interests, you're not exhibiting Christ's love. You're operating at the expense of your body rather than for your body. And in doing so, you're hurting yourself because you and your wife are one. And when your decisions damage your wife, spiritually speaking, you are doing self-harm. And you will not find the same joy and success that you otherwise would. Husbands, we need to adopt a biblical perspective that compels us to lead our lives in a loving, nurturing, and an understanding way. We need to see our wives not just as a part of our lives, but as the very essence of our life, our body. We need to gain a biblical perspective which reminds us that the very best thing we can do for us as married men is to regard our wife's needs and desires with true thoughtfulness and care. Jesus gave his life for his church. And he ever lives to intercede for us. Your wife deserves nothing less than your life. The whole of your affection, love, and care. Third and final point this morning. Husbands, first, biblical love is an unconditional choice, not a conditional response. Second, husbands, remember, love your wife with your life. But third and finally, Husbands, love your wife with a mind toward her success. This is a little bit of an overlap point with what I'm going to preach on in two weeks, but there's a little bit of a a distinction. I'm going to get deeper, of course, in two weeks. It is your wife's duty to submit to you, and her happiness and contentment in the marriage is dependent upon her readiness, her willingness to do exactly that. But let it never be said, husband... That you are the weak spiritual link in your marriage. Let it never be said that your wife must seek the contentment and joy of fulfilling her role of submission in spite of you, not through you. When we talk about winning our wives in in two weeks, not just about fulfilling your biblical obligation to her, but about going above and beyond to make her a truly happy and contented woman, we'll talk about this deeper how to make the role of submission easier and indeed in many ways joyful. But I'm not even really talking about going above and beyond here. Your wife has entered into a binding spiritual covenant with you. She is indeed at your mercy in many ways. In the same way that your body depends upon you to take care of it, your wife depends upon you to take care of her. I can sit on the couch and I can eat potato chips all day. But at some point, that is going to affect my body. My body can't handle that forever. My body depends upon my will to make the right choices to take care of it. The greatest marriage, the most content situation for both husband and wife will be found when you, as the husband... Tirelessly devote yourself to that which is best for your wife. When you give your life to her. You have the authority, husband, to keep every advantage to yourself. You'll answer to God for that, but you have the authority to do so. You have the authority to never wash a dish. You have the authority to pass the kids along the moment they get too inconvenient. You have the authority to ask... Her to to take care of everything while you go off and you do whatever you want. You have that authority. But just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Just because you can eat nothing but potato chips, sit on the couch all day, doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can push your body to its limits doesn't mean you should. But if you do, you need to know that there will be consequences. The wise head understands that his body needs to be cared for and he takes care of his body because he and his body are one. And the wise husband loves his wife with a mind toward her success because she is his body and what affects her will affect him. When he mistreats her, there will be spiritual consequences on the family. So, husband, how are you doing at loving your wife today? It's a great way to kick off Family Emphasis Month. How are you doing? Do you truly love her? Christ love, love her. Or have you taken great liberties in your relationship with your body? This is not a time for, but pastor, you don't understand the woman I live with. But she, but what about her? We'll get there. We'll talk about her her part. What about you? I have to do this with my daughters all the time. Say to one of them, did you do this? My sister, no, 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 no. I don't care what your sister did. I'm asking you what you did, right? But but she, no, no. We'll deal with her later. What did you do, right? Husband. Not about how your wife has acted, treated, responded. Whether she's doing her part, whether she's not. You, your part. 100% towards your wife. Vow to her. Richer or poorer. Sickness, health. Love you. Cherish you. Nurture you. Christ's love. Husband, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. You, husband. Are you doing your part? Are you loving your wife with the same love that Christ has toward His church? This is the divine standard. And God would not command it if we could not obey it. But we can because we have a spirit within us. Perhaps there are some men among us today who need to change the way you husband. Perhaps you've led more like a detached dictator than a patient guide. Perhaps you have led selfishly, expecting your wife to compensate for whatever selfish choices you want to make. You can live this way, but you shouldn't live this way. This is not how Christ leads. And indeed, if he did, how many of us would follow him? Husband, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Watch God's blessing upon your marriage. And you know what else, as we close? Let me just mention this. Husband, if God has designed you to lead and her to submit, you to love her to submit. If that's the design, then when you're doing your part, you know what else I can tell you? She's going to want to do hers too. Let's close and pray.